Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. I'm Tuvia Kopstein, and in this episode, we're going to do something a little different. Here, we're sitting down with the son of a recently passed away great man. The son's name is Alex Liss, and his father was Mr. Ed Liss of Blessed Memory. Now, Ed was a professional, as his son says, a professional through and through. He was involved in, in very big banking deals. He was on the loan the problem problem loan side of the U.S. Bank, and and as a family man, as a community member, Ed was somebody exemplary that people looked to and wanted to wanted to emulate. There's so much to learn from his story. We're going to hear it from his son himself, who was just recently coming out of uh, you know losing his father, the very emotional experience. And I think everyone has something to gain from this conversation. I certainly learned a lot, and I need to mention that. The podcast fellowship is the engine behind our tribe podcast. If you haven't heard of the podcast fellowship, that's okay. The podcast fellowship is an international Jewish outreach nonprofit that's helping Jewish young adults all over the world learn about their Jewish heritage with an incentivized fellowship, connecting what they're learning with a local mentor, no matter where the student is located in the world. And you can check it out at podcastfellowship.org. Without further ado, our Tribe the Podcast with Alex Liss, learning about the legacy of Mr. Ed Liss. Okay, here we are with Alex Liss from St. Louis, Missouri. How, how are you doing, Alex? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Okay, yes, thank you so much. And we would love to hear the story. Tell us about your father um, of blessed memory. Tell us, tell us his story and, and what he represented and, and what, what values he gave over. Okay, sure. So my father, uh, he passed away somewhat recently. We're still currently in the first stage of mourning within the first 30 days of when he passed away called the Shloshim. Um, so, you know, we've been reflecting a lot about his life, especially at the Shiva, um, where we think about really like, what did he stand for and what is his legacy? Um, I guess if I had to give kind of like a, a brief synopsis about my father's upbringing and his life is that he was born uh, in a family with uh, parents who were of an immigrant immigrant background. Um, his father came here with a few of his brothers. So this would be my grandfather, my father's father. Mm-hmm. Um, they came here from the shtetl escaping the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, uh, their parents and siblings were actually killed in the Holocaust. They managed to escape to the, to the United States. Um, so at that time, when my grandfather um, escaped Europe, he was unmarried. He was like in his late 20s, I believe. Um, and in fact, he wasn't allowed to come to the States yet. They weren't accepting immigrants. So he had to escape to Argentina for a little bit. Um, and then eventually he came to St. Louis and joined his brothers here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a, a clothing store um, and they had brought, um, this would be my, my great uncles. They had brought several, several people from their village. They had saved them by bringing them to the States and employing them in their store. Uh, and so the upbringing of my grand, you know, my grandfather, I should say, you know, with the store was that they were surrounded with a lot of immigrants. Um, it was a very Jewish culture. I would say they spoke Yiddish in the store. Many of them didn't even speak English. And my father was raised very traditionally, you know, um, not, not religiously, 
Um, but very traditionally, I would say um, they had Shabbos dinner. They were members of, of the conservative shul. Um, but my father was raised in a public school setting. Um, he did attend Hebrew school um, and always had a strong Jewish identity, uh, but didn't really become more observant until later in life uh, after his college years when he started to raise a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, did he my, study? Yeah, what did he study in college? What, what professional sure. track was he going in? Yeah. So my father's professional life was actually pretty interesting. Um, he started studying, actually, uh, he was an architect, a trained architect. So he went to an architecture program for, I think, about four or five years. And then he worked for one year as an architect and then decided that it didn't really suit his interests. And I'm sure he was quite good at it. Uh, actually, for the rest of his life, my father was, ex- he was the handy, one of the handiest people I, kn- I knew. Everything in our house, in fact, even at the Shiva, you know, um, when we were mourning, you know, for my father, we realized that, you know, we were using a table to read the, the Torah on um, at the Shiva Minion in Arizona. Oh. Dad built that table. You know, he wow. built everything. He built everything. <laughs> he helped me build the Aron that we used for the, the Shiva where we had the Torah for him. He helped wow. me build that. Wow. So he's just, he, he, he kept those skills his whole life, but he decided for himself that, that he'd rather um, use his skills differently. And so he decided to go to business school and, um, and he worked as a businessman in the field of, of banking for us bank for, for the rest of his career. No, when you know, <laughs> let's, let's go back to your grandfather. When did your grandfather meet your grandmother oh, uh, after, so, after coming over to St. Louis? Yes. So my grandfather due to, you know, his experience escape, escaping the war. I mentioned that he spent some time in Argentina. My grandfather was actually somewhat older when he met my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, they met in St. Louis. Um, and my grandfather was older than your typical bachelor. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad always said that, you know, when my dad was born, my grandfather was already an almost an older man. Um, you know, he wasn't a young 20, 25 year old or anything like that. Um, and so he met my grand, my grandfather met my grandmother here in St. Louis mm-hmm. and they have three children together. My father and my father has two brothers. Got it. Okay. So now your father was going back after a year working as an architect, he went back to business school and started working for us bank. He met your mother somewhere along. along yes. That track? So. Okay. So he met my mother while they were uh, in college together at the University of Kansas, of all places. Um, there was a small kind of population of Jewish students there at the time. I think they said that they met at a Hillel. Um, okay. they, they would have Shabbos dinners together. My father was fascinated um, by the fact that my mother grew up as the only Jewish family in a small town in Kansas, uh, which itself is a really interesting story. Um, I think my my father had a deep appreciation for the fact that they remained Jewish and they were proud of being Jewish in a setting like that. You know, my father was from a very Jewish culture growing up, despite going to a public school, you know, he grew up in a part of town that had a lot of Jews, you know, all my father's friends were Jewish growing up. Uh, my father was strongly associated with his conservative synagogue growing up. Mm-hmm. He was a chazan at the synagogue and, just very connected. And my mother came from such a different background. And so I think it really made an impression on him meeting someone like that in college. And um, that's where their story began. When you say small town, Kansas, like how small are we talking about? It's a lot smaller now than it was then, uh, (laughs) but uh, uh, less than, you know, 8,000 people. Okay. 
That kind of small. Wow. Yeah. So if they had that many people that own the Jewish family, that's that no resources, no, you know, it's very, for no. very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. They must have been there for work. I imagine your grandfather's uh Yeah, so on my mom's <laughs> side they yeah, she came from a family also of immigrants and they had stores throughout all of Kansas and that's kind of what oh, brought them there. Got them, got it. Okay. Very good. Okay, so your, your father and your mother, they got married when they're both in college. Correct? Yeah, so they got they got married right. I think it was towards the time that they were both in graduate school. Okay. At the University um, of Kansas. Yes. Okay, got it. And they raised and they started they went back to St. Louis and they raised a the family there? So, yeah. So they lived briefly before moving back to St. Louis in uh, Dallas, Texas, and then briefly in Kansas City, Missouri. But for for actually the rest of their life, um, they lived together here in St. Louis, where my father was from. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where they chose to raise their family. Okay. Okay. So now tell us, Let's let's go to the... Let's get, you said you, there's a lot of interesting things to say about your father's life in the banking industry. Yes. Let's, let's hear, let's hear about his career there and, and some of the examples, sure. things, that, things that you heard since he passed. So one thing to note about my father is that he was an exceptionally hardworking, diligent, and yet honest worker. I mean, my my impression of my dad's early career is that he worked for a lot of smaller banks and a lot of times the banks would restructure fold into other banks, be bought by larger banks. And a lot of times, you know, when that happened, a lot of people would be fired mm-hmm. and somehow my father throughout his entire career, um, which he had a remarkably long and I would say successful career. He was always kind of like the last man standing. Um, I think he separated himself from his colleagues not necessarily because he was the absolute most brilliant person in the room. And he was an extremely intelligent person, you know, make no mistake. But I think, and this is what some of his colleagues had expressed to us, especially the Shiva, it's just his, his integrity and his diligence. Um, it was remarkable. I mean, I can tell you many, many stories about, about my father in that regard. I mean, he, he, it would keep him up at night, actually, um, him thinking about work. And the part that kept him up was he would always be concerned, you know, did I do the right thing? You know, is there a chance that I missed something? And he would often would wake up in the middle of the night and drive downtown at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., um, on Sunday morning, really early at 5 a.m. I mean, m- many, many times um, he would drive downtown because he felt he had missed something and he would make sure it was done right. Uh, Can you give us an just, example? I have no idea. Like restructure, we're talking in terms of, of laying employees off because there was a restructuring of the bank. He had to. He, yeah. he was. He was. He was second guessing his his decisions about who would let go. Also, to clarify about that, so his work in his work, he actually worked um, primarily with loans. He was involved with loans related to the bank with large companies, so millions of dollars, many times hundreds of millions of dollars. And what I mentioned to you earlier was that. He worked for, originally when he started his career, he worked for a lot of smaller banks. And very often those smaller banks, they would fire a lot of the employees as they restructured those banks. Mm -hmm. My father wasn't involved in that process, but he was kind of caught up in it as one of the employees. And my impression is, uh, and I've been told this by others, is that he would always be one of the employees who they wouldn't fire. Right. They wanted that's him around. That's what you meant, last man standing. Okay. That's what you meant. Okay. So he wasn't involved. Okay. 
I misunderstood. He wasn't involved in the restructuring himself, but since he was part of the smaller banks that were you know, underwent this 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 process, and he was always the one that they wanted to keep because of his integrity. But then later sure. on in his career, when he was working for U.S. Bank and bigger, you know, yes. dealing with bigger. Okay, <laughs> so what That's kind right. of, what kind of decisions would there be that would that would keep him up and 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 worry that maybe he didn't do the right thing? Like, can you do you have any insight into that? Well, the thing I can tell you about my father is that. He just, he always, the funny thing is he always did the right thing. You know, he, he never made mistakes in my, from my perspective and in the way he would describe his work to me in the way his colleagues would describe him. I mean, he was, he was a really talented, intelligent, successful employee and worker, but he always worried for himself that maybe I could do better. And I think it was those type of questions that kind of led him. And that's honestly, I think what separated him from his colleagues and really what made, made him have so much respect to, you know, his managers and, and to the company is that he just, he, he would go to any length to do what's right for the bank. Um, I remember, you know, my dad, it's just, he was just so honest just to give you an example. I mean, you know, many times he would remember, Oh, I forgot to print something, you know, related to work that he wanted to look at or something like that. And we would tell my dad, I'll just print it off at home. And, and to my dad, he was like allergic to that. He would say bank property, you know, how could I print that at home? You know, it's sensitive information. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I, I can't put the, the bank at risk by doing that. Mm-hmm. And to print off one sheet of paper, he would drive downtown middle of the night, whatever, just to do that kind of thing. It's just his, his honesty was just unbelievable. Honestly, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. I mean, he would, he would, never bring work home and talk about clients, you know, things that are sensitive to the bank. And I'm sure my father had a lot of juicy things to say. I mean, he worked with a lot of high profile cases and I'm sure he could have wowed people at Kiddish and us at home by a lot of the things that he was interacting with, but it's just his, his kind of unwavering honesty just prevented him from even considering doing that. I mean, he just, he would, he wouldn't do it. Wow. I know a friend, maybe you'll identify, I know a friend who was, he was um, clerking, I guess, I don't know, he was a, a low-level employee at one of the major national banks, and they had a policy that you can't do any of your personal finance while you're working. You can't go, you can't log into oh. the website, right? And and he, he, for whatever reason, his wife called him, he had to take care of uh, some kind of personal finance, he did it, and he was fired immediately, and there was no, wow. there, were, there was no um, appeal, no, you know, no negotiations, so... They feel yeah. obviously the banks take take it take it very seriously that the the, the work yeah. <laughs> work stays at work and home stays at home. Yeah, yeah, that's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me, what else? Yeah. What? So what was what was his exact role at at US Bank? He was the he was a senior loan officer. So yeah, he worked in uh, he called it the problem loan department, okay. which, from my understanding, dealt with. Entities that had borrowed money from U.S. Bank but couldn't pay it back, uh, and so these were not normally individuals, but these were usually corporations, sure. you know, hotels, um, you know, involving large sums of money. Sure. And uh, my dad's job was to represent the bank and work with these companies on a way that they could find some resolution mm-hmm. towards paying their loan. Um, so sort of like restructuring, you had to yes. restructure the loans. It's like restructuring companies and the companies that, yes. are, that are in, in uh, what's the word, in distress. 
Yes. <laughs> Loans in distress. He had to be, so yes. he, had to, he had to use his creativity to figure out how to make sure that every, all the creditors, which was the U.S. bank, right? That the creditor was yes. happy and the, <laughs> and the business could, could, could reasonably pay off what they owed. That's right. Do you have any insight into, into the, how he, he approached that? Yes, I do. Okay. It's, it's actually remarkable. I don't think I fully understood a lot of this until we really, like at the Shiva especially and at the funeral, we talked to a lot of my dad's colleagues. Mm-hmm. Now, my dad had worked with some of these people and, and some of his managers for like 40 years. And they really felt a special connection to him. And I remember his, his, his most recent manager, who they had worked together for many years, um, told us that, you know, in this line of work, kind of by nature, you deal with companies and individuals who, you know, they're not so scrupulous. Um, you know, sometimes they're in the position they're in with not being able to pay, you know, their loans for dishonest reasons. And, you know, some of their, character traits were questionable. And, you know, what my dad's manager told me is that my dad's strategy, you know, to work with them was to always take the high road. You know, my dad, you know, and there are different strategies. He had different colleagues with different personalities. My dad's strategy was never to be aggressive. It was never to be mean spirited. Um, He certainly didn't try to make them feel bad about themselves. You know, my dad was a professional through and through 100%. And more than being a professional, my dad was a mensch. You know, he, 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 t- he treated these people with respect. Um, you know, he, his goal was to help them in the bank find a solution. It wasn't to punish them or to, you know, uh, penalize them. And my dad's manager told me that you know, he thinks that one of the reasons my dad was so successful is because just these people that he would work with my dad, they just really sensed that about my dad. Like, you know, this is an honest person. He's not trying to, um, to put me down. And because of that, they were probably more willing to work with him. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons my dad was so successful. You know, specific cases that, that you can, you can tell us or, or the details were, Kept I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. That's the funny thing. I can't. And it's because of what I said earlier. My dad, would, uh-huh. if, it, if, it, if it had to do with a client or bank, I mean, my dad was a professional. Um, and, you know, we would kind of have to sense from him, you know, some of the details of what he was working with because he wouldn't tell it to us. Um, you know, I have to imagine, and some of my dad's colleagues have said this to me, that, you know, the bank would trust my dad with anything because he, he was a professional through and through. And if it related to bank property, I mean, I, you know, my dad was such an honest person. I think the bank or any of his colleagues would happily and securely entrust my dad with a hundred million dollars without thinking, you know, anything of it. I mean, my dad was a mensch. (laughs) He was a mensch. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now tell us about, uh, if there's nothing more to add on that topic, uh, I'm sure there is, but <laughs> for the meantime, tell us, you, you hinted at the fact that as your father grew up conservative and he became more observant going like, later in life. And I see that. Yes. I don't know your story. If, if, if you're yourself or something. I'd be happy. Came... Yeah. Let's, let's tell. I'd be happy to comment on that. I just, uh-huh. I don't want to forget to mention one thing. Sure. Go just for cause it. I want to, con- I want to convey this kind of to paint a, a full picture about my dad with, mm-hmm. with his work life. And then I'd be happy to explain his, his journey. Um, I just wanted to mention that 
there was a remarkable thing about my dad and that's, you know, as hard as he worked and as diligent as he was in his job and as much as he thought about his job, you know, which he did, my dad somehow found a way to separate his work life and his real life is what he would say. You know, my dad, like I said, I mean, you know, he put all of his energies into work. Um, he, you know, when it was time to work, you know, so, you know, that we're talking about between nine to five and, and then my dad was a family man. I mean, you know, he, he was, he was a family man in every sense of the word. He would tell you that himself. I mean, if anybody would ask him anything about himself, my dad, people didn't even know what my dad did for a living. People who knew him well, you know, they knew all he worked at the bank, but my dad wouldn't talk about work. Uh, he wouldn't talk about it at home. He wouldn't talk about it at shul. I mean, he had his priorities straight. You know, he knew that work was work. You know, he viewed it. And I can tell you that this is what he would say. Work was a way to provide for his family. But, you know, when he wasn't on the clock, I mean, he was, he was with us. You know, at the Shiva, we talked about the fact that my dad, when he came home from work, he would hang his briefcase on the door, you know, kind of in the back part of our house. And um, his phone, his personal phone, and his work phone and his work computer. I mean, it would stay in that briefcase. I mean, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't glance at that. You know, he wouldn't be glancing at work material or he wouldn't be talking about work with us. You know, he was, he was there with us. Um, so I don't know. I think I just wanted to mention that because it's such a remarkable thing. It's hard to find that balance, you know, someone who's so committed to their career and so involved in it and occupies so much of their thoughts. I mean, it, he, he did that, you know, he was involved with work in a way that it didn't impact his family or his, or in my opinion, his real, real life goals. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, sometimes we would, yeah, yes, go ahead, yeah keep, keep going. Keep going. I mean, I mentioned earlier that it would keep my dad up at night. Yeah. I can guarantee, I can guarantee it did that because we were all sleeping, you know, so he could think about it again, uh -huh. but he could, he had a way of turning on and turning off his, his mind and his brain when it came to work. Um, you know, and he somehow did it. I mean, it was, you know, he, he was really concerned about his work, but he never did any of it at the expense of us, you know, in the family. Yeah. I, I'm getting the sense that your family, family was the type that had, would have family dinners together on time, six o'clock. Is that, is that true? Oh yeah. I mean, what I can say about our family is, you know, and we could talk about this, you know, more at length if you want, but I mean, my, the kind of family my father built was just remarkable. I mean, I don't know how he did it, People, it, it's so remarkable that, that many, many times people have asked me from our synagogue, from shul, from, from, from school, from all, all sorts of settings. People will ask, like, what did your parents do to create such a close family? I mean, you know, we just love spending time together and we have a lot of respect for each other. Uh, we talked at the Shiva a lot about the fact that, you know, in our home, the most important thing to us was having like a close relationship with our parents. Um, our parents didn't really have to discipline us a lot. And that's not because we didn't do anything wrong. We certainly did, you know, we certainly fought with each other, you know, like all kids do. But for us, the, you know, the biggest deterrent for doing something wrong was we wouldn't want to hurt our parents. We wouldn't want them to be disappointed in us. Um, I think that says a lot about the kind of family that my father managed to create um, where you could have that closeness you know, we, we genuinely wanted to spend, you know, time together. I mean, me, you know, my siblings, we would beg my parents, please come to us for Shabbos. And we, re we really wanted them to come. You know, we didn't, it's not that we felt, you know, responsible, you know, just to, oh, we have to see our parents or we have to, 
you know, if we had some time, you know, in the evening, you know, the, the first place we'd want to go is their house to go on an errand with them. I mean, they built an amazing, amazing thing that I can only hope to build for my own kids. You know, I, I'd, I'd hope that they'd want to spend the kind of time with me and think of me in the regard that I thought of my father. It's really a remarkable thing. How many siblings do you have? I have a twin brother, an older uh-huh. sister, and then another older brother. Okay. So four yeah. in total. Okay, four in total. And so what what did they do? What did your parents do? What do you think? They had, people are asking you all the time, what did your parents do to make to build such a close family? I, What's your answer? I, I don't know <laughs> what to tell them. I wish I did. My parents wouldn't know what to tell them because it, I mean, we, we all have this kind of puzzled look. We get this question a lot. Um, I wish there was, the only thing I can guess is that just my parents always, th- this is for sure. I know this for sure. We were always the priority in our house, us kids to my parents. I mean, you know, if anybody would ask my dad anything, you know, oh, Ed, how you doing? Um, you know, what's going on? My dad would just invariably, you know, start talking about us, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm so happy. My children, you know, I have three of my four children who live in St. Louis. You know, one of my sons has smicha. You know, my father was just so proud of his kids. And more than that, it's just, we were really the central part of his life. And he would tell you that if he was here. I mean, there's, yeah, it's, I'm just kind of laughing because there's nothing else he would even, t- there's nothing else he would think to talk about. He wouldn't talk about work. And my father had a motorcycle. He wouldn't really talk about that. He would talk <laughs> about us kids. That's and interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would have to believe that that's part of it. You know, we always got the sense that we were important to our parents. We didn't have to compete, you know, with anything for our parents' attention, not the TV, not a cell phone, not their friends, you know, not work. And I, I have to believe that that's part of why we have the kind of family that we have mm-hmm. where we do love each other, you know, to that extent. And we do want to spend time with each other. And that's my guess. <laughs> Okay. Very probably, very probably. Yeah. Tell me about your, your father's, uh, your father's spiritual journey. Yes. Yes. So I mentioned that my father grew up, you know, I would say traditional, um, him and his brothers, you know, they they all have a very strong connection to Judaism and they each kind of have their own journeys. Uh, for my father, you know, after he, after he got married to my mom and they moved back to St. Louis, you know, I know that as they were starting their family, they started to think kind of more critically about, you know, what do they want their family to look like? Um, what kind of relationship to Judaism do they want their kids to have? And I think because of some of those questions, I know my father began to be affiliated with some different organizations, um, you know, in St. Louis, uh, primarily Asia Torah. I think my father for himself was interested in, getting some of the Jewish background and Torah wisdom that he didn't have the opportunity to learn in a yeshiva type setting, you know, that just wasn't part of my father's upbringing. And I think he wanted that for himself and more so I think he wanted to set up a strong foundation for his family as he was raising us. Um, so this was like, say 1980s, I'm imagining. Yes. No, yeah. The late, yeah. The late 1980s. Okay, so he's, um, he's getting involved. He reached out to Ishatora. Ishatora reached out to him. Do you have any any insight? I know who it was, but I don't know who started it. Um, it's a big schuss for whoever did because, you know, I said this at the Shiva, you know, in our family, there's a very strong connection to Judaism in our entire family. But there really wasn't 
in association with observant Judaism, you know, I guess you could say is Orthodox Judaism, you know, there really, that really didn't exist in our family. Mm-hmm. And um, my father kind of took that on for himself um, and everything kind of stemmed from that. Mm-hmm. So when you grew up, did you grow up in an observant family by the time, by the time you were? So, yes, <laughs> I would say, yeah, by the time, by the time me and my twin brother were born and, and my older siblings, you know, we all were raised, I would say, modern Orthodox. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my parents made the decision, which I think it's a remarkable decision um, to send us to a Jewish day school. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't simple. Um, it wasn't the norm, I would say, um, but they decided to take that leap and send us to an observant, you know, an observant day school. And we were raised modern Orthodox. Um, my parents started going to Orthodox synagogues. Um, just something to mention about that, just because it came to my mind, is my father had a remarkable quality when it came to his relationship with like shuls and schools and organizations. My father was like a lover of Klal Yisrael. He was like a lover of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. My father could not say a bad thing about any organization, any school, any shul. And I think he saw the best in all of them. I always kind of think back to the fact that we davened at a lot of different shuls actually growing up. We would kind of go on stints. So we would spend a few years at Young Israel. And then there was another shul called Shari Chesed and then another one called Nusachari. And we would kind of bounce around a little bit till we stabilized and started going to one, one more regularly, you know, as we started getting older. But I think it wasn't because my father was getting in feuds at those shuls or he didn't like the rabbit. My father like loved them all. It was an amazing thing. Uh, he spoke with such reverence about each one of them. I still remember each, each one of the rabbis at those shuls, my father would quote them regularly and he appreciated kind of the best things about all those shuls. I think he fully absorbed and fully appreciated what observant Judaism added to his life and added to our life as kids. And um, he just kind of embraced it all. Okay. So now, yeah, tell me, so tell me some, why, what, what do you think it was about your father that, that this is a very interesting question, I think for many people, for myself, if you're satisfied with your Jewish connection as a strongly affiliated conservative Jew, like why would you change? What, what's the, what's the, you wanted, he wanted, you said he, he wanted to get some of that classic Jewish knowledge that he didn't have in, because he never went to yeshiva. Right. But what, what motivates somebody to, to become, you know, to, to say now I'm in a different, I'm in a different place. I need to, to switch affiliations. Right. You know? I think that's a great, I think that's a great question. The only thing I can say is that I think in some ways my father felt, and I want to say this sensitively, I think in some ways my father felt let down by the system that of Judaism that he was raised in. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, my father would talk about the fact that, you know, he would go to Hebrew school um, after public school, you know, that was what he did. And um, he hated it. They all hated it is what he would tell us. You know, I remember we would hear kind of like horror stories from uh, some of my father's contemporaries, you know, like the, the kids didn't really want to be there and the teachers didn't want to be there. Um, it's just, they kind of ended up in the same place. Um, and you ever, just, uh, it, you ever heard uh Tom Latora, Tom Latorture? That's, <laughs> that sounds about right. 
<laughs> they would call these schools Tamatora, and I think the the kids didn't. They just yeah. resented the fact that they're done with school, and all of their non-Jewish friends got to go play, and they had to go yeah. they had to go to Hebrew instruction school. They it's very very resentful about that. So that was that was I guess that was happening a lot in the in America in the fifties and sixties and maybe before. And that so, was my father's experience exactly. Yeah. Okay, um, I think because of that he wasn't willing to raise us the same way. Mm-hmm. I think my father felt the need to find a new strategy for keeping us connected to Judaism because um, just, I don't think he viewed that as the answer, you know, or the future. I think he wanted us to have an, an appreciation and a love for Torah and for Judaism. And I don't think he wanted it to be something that, you know, heaven forbid that we would dread or, you know, anything right. like that. So I think he felt the need to find a new strategy. Mm-hmm. How, this is very curious because he hated the experience of going to Talmud Torah, but how did he have the love for Judaism that, that made him want to do better for his children? Like, how did he know it was in Judaism? Because a lot, a lot of people would, might, might think, and I think this happened to many, if, if this is how it is, if, if, I, if I resent the education, then I don't want anything to do with this for, my, for right. myself or my children. <laughs> so what was it? I, I would have to believe that for my father, it it had to do with his own appreciation of Judaism in Torah, which was developing. You know, I mentioned that he started becoming affiliated with Asia Torah. I, I have to believe that, that due to those experiences, my father really started to see the beauty in the Torah observant lifestyle and in the Torah itself. You know, I can say that, that my dad, for someone not having a traditional, you know, yeshiva, I would say education, my dad had a real love of Torah. Um, I, you know, I said this at the shiva a few times, um, but I'm just, I'm thinking about the way my dad would look during a drasha. And, you know, everyone kind of pays attention to, you know, the drasha, the sermon to different extents, you know, when the rabbi speaks on, on Shabbos morning, um, my dad was like in full attention. I mean, my dad, his eyes were locked on. If he, could the take rabbi. Notes, if he could take notes, he would be taking notes. Yes. In fact, the, you know, one of the rabbis who came to the Shiva, who, who was our, our longtime rabbi at our synagogue, said that my dad was probably the best congregant a rabbi could ask for. I mean, you know, he was, my dad was the opposite of sleeping during the drasha. I mean, my dad was soaking up every word. Um, on Shabbos, you know, when one of us kids would, would want to say a Torah thought, my dad would like zone in. I mean, he, he really wanted to hear it and we would, you know, say it. And my dad would, you could tell, you know, you can really tell when somebody's listening, you know, when somebody really cares. And my dad would just, he would say, that's beautiful. You know, he, he loved it. Um, I think because of that and because he developed that type of appreciation, you know, that's something he wanted to transmit to us. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like, my father wanted us to have a better, more fully, more full, more rounded experience in Judaism than he had. And I think day school was, you know, was part of that for us. Mm-hmm. Did he have, was he becoming more observant when his parents were still living? So you should know about my father's parents is that my grandfather passed away when my father was very young. Okay. My father was actually 14 years old when he passed away. Oh. And so, my father didn't have a, as many memories with his father as he 
would have wanted. I mean, yeah. he always tells us that his father was an old man. You know, when, when my dad was growing up, he wasn't like a, you know, your typical middle-aged father. I mean, he was an older, older person, you know, yeah. and later in life, you know, not in good health. Uh-huh. Um, but your, your grandmother? My grandmother, um, she passed away shortly after my parents got married. Okay, so she wasn't part of this either. She wasn't. No. She wasn't observing your 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 father's uh, transformation. No, yeah, that all kind of happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this now with your your mother and father were in this together. There was there was no sometimes yes. there's struggle. Uh, sometimes some, one one partner. Is, no, my parents growing. Yeah. My parents. I mean, we could speak about you know the relationship my dad had with my mother just briefly. I mean, they were they were a unit. Um, it's you know. <laughs> just thinking about the kind of marriage that they had with each other, you know, for different reasons, which we can discuss if you'd like, I mean, they were just kind of locked at the hip, you know, joined at the hip, you know, together. Um, I mean, there was no one more important to my father than my mother. And it went the other way too. You know, they were the kind of people who they didn't really give of their time to go to social events or parties or even Shabbos meals. Honestly, I mean, they, they really, they wanted to spend their time with each other and with us kids. Mm. Um, and so I feel like they were always unified. And it, certainly to us kids, we never got the sense that they were on different tracks or that they had different opinions. You know, I feel like they raised us in a cohesive way where we kind of felt like they all supported us and were on the same page with each other. Is there some some stories you talk about a lot about how what you said of the Shiva and just in case our listeners don't know, this the, the shiva is the seven days after a family member, a close family member dies. So the the family, the close the closest relatives, they 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 don't work, they don't do anything. They sit and they receive guests who come in to to comfort them, and they talk about the person, they talk about the the recently deceased, and they talk about uh, ideally they're talking about the lessons that that person. Uh, taught and the, what the, the example, the, le- the legacy that that person left. So I want to ask you, Alex, was there anything surprising that you heard about your father during the Shiva that you could share? I think the idea of Shiva, which you explained so nicely, you know, I think the goal of it is to really focus on the person who's deceased and like really get a better understanding of who they were because, you know, we all have our own experiences in life. We interact with different people and it's only when you kind of get everyone in a room and you're all speaking about the same person and you have my dad's manager over there, you know, who's non-Jewish and then you have the shul rabbi and then me and my siblings and then you have our neighbors and like everybody kind of has their own experiences with my dad. And we're all like sharing that in the same room for like seven days, nonstop, like almost all day. So that's kind of like what Shiva is. So like, I think more than like any one surprising thing was just kind of like, we all, and we knew my dad extremely well. I mean, like I said, you know, I kind of described our family before. I mean, I always tell people, my dad is like my favorite person. My wife knows that she, you know, she would tell you that she'd be like, yeah, I know dad's your favorite person. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we knew our dad well, but I think at the Shiva, when we heard about so many different aspects of my dad and things that we knew and didn't know, it's like we got a full picture of 
honestly, like what, what a big tzaddik, like what a big righteous person my dad really was. I mean, he was a remarkable person. Um, you know, none of the stories were kind of small, you know, little cute stories. Oh yeah. I remember when your dad at the baseball game, you know, my dad wasn't like a big talker. They were all real stories about the kind of person that he was. Um, I can share this just because it's coming to mind right now is my, my twin brother mentioned something which I forgot, which this is kind of a detour, but I think it's, it's, it says something about my father is that, you know, for all the sacrifice that my father did to put us into a Jewish day school and for how much he was excited about that and, and how much he wanted that for us without going into the details towards the end of our middle school years, like around seventh grade, um, we had to leave the school. And, uh, it was tragic, you know, you know, everything that my parents had worked towards becoming more, re- you know, religious, it was kind of tragic to have to take a step back. It felt like by leaving the day school system, but my father like didn't miss a beat. You know, he told us, he, he said to us, me and my twin brother, he said, you know, who's your favorite Rebbe? Who's your favorite teacher at school? And we told him there was a substitute teacher that we both really liked. And my father said, okay, we'll hire him as a tutor, you know, to keep, to, you know, to keep, to continue your Jewish education, even though you won't be in the day school setting, we'll hire him. And my, I know my father paid him handsomely, you know, um, to keep us involved. Um, and that was kind of a part of the story that I forgot. I didn't really remember that. <laughs> my brother brought that up, <laughs> but, um, there's so many little things like that, that made us appreciate our father even more. Wow. I can tell, I, I want to share with the listeners, um, and probably many of the listeners will be people that, that know you and, and know you, knew your father, but uh, hopefully it'll spread. Um, there was something very moving that, that, you, that you and your wife put together for your father as a merit for him to recover from his final illness, and that I'd never seen before. And I, I told my wife, she said, yeah, I heard about somebody doing that. But they had this, um, they put together a WhatsApp group where they split, you know, let me give a little bit of a, a, a back up a step for, for this, that it's a, it's a great merit that people should pray for somebody who's, who's sick. And, and specifically the Sefer of, the Sefer Tehillim, the, 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 the book of Psalms is especially, it's, it talks about one's emotional connection to God. And there's so much about uh, trouble and joy and, and recovery from sickness and impossible situations and, and exaltation. There's all, all kinds of emotions are in there. It's a very, um, it's a very emotional work and that, that, that is that the Jewish people have always been very closely connected to. And to say to Hillam is in the, in the merit of somebody's recovery is a very powerful thing. So what the list family did is that they, they made a WhatsApp group and it wasn't just a WhatsApp group. Like, please say to Hillam, which you see all the time, please, somebody's sick, please say to Hillam. But rather it was a, a group where everybody took on one or two, saying one or two chapters. And then the next person would say, okay, I'll do the next two. Or I'll do the next one. And then it was going back and forth for how long? I don't know. I joined it at some point, I think about a month, uh, but it was probably longer than that. And, and it, was, it was building up to the point where they were collectively with these people involved all throughout the world, I imagine, um, mm-hmm. collect- collectively, they completed the entire Sefer of Tehillim, the entire book of Psalms, 36 or so times in his merit. So that was just a, it's a beautiful thing. And it was a way for everybody to do a little bit and feel that they're part of a, a very large group 
how many people were involved? 250? A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> a, a very large group of people that were like working together in, in the merit of, of his recovery. And ultimately, even though there was, he did not recover from, from this, but ultimately that's, that, that merit is his, um, forever because all, all of those prayers that are, that, that were offered, um, they, they don't, they don't go to waste. They help somehow, even if it's not for what we intend and they're, and, and they, they, who knows who was, you know, all, all the good things that happened to the world because, because of those prayers. So that was, that was a very powerful thing. And, and the fact that so many people joined with it, I didn't know your father, but I, <laughs> we work, um, Mrs. Liss is, is involved with the podcast fellowship and, uh, and, and, in, in St. Louis. And so that's how I, I got involved. And I was, I was sort of swept away with the, with the, the, the power of the public coming together, a, a, a very large group of people coming together for somebody. So that's why, I, I felt this connection. So that was whose idea was Thank that? Thank you for saying that. That was your. Uh, that was my wife's once again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my wife is amazing. Yeah. I mean, great idea. We yeah. should do a podcast about her sometime. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's an amazing idea story. she had. She has a story to tell. I know that the she she gave yeah. the last, Yeah, she has a great story to tell. That's right. But yeah, I, just, I mean, we're very appreciative to all the people who helped you know contribute towards the effort that you mentioned. Um, yeah, we also feel that those prayers didn't go to waste. Very good. Okay. Alex, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Uh, anything, a, a takeaway for our listeners, somebody, um, I know this is, this is generally a professional podcast. So it's more about your, 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 your father and, and his, uh, his just is all, all around being a mensch and being, uh, being a great person. Um, but is there any, any lesson you'd like to impart that you think that couldn't be uh, already, already taken out from what we already said? Only thing I should say is that, you know, I heard this from, from one of my teachers um, and that's, you know, if you're ever at a funeral or, you know, uh, a eulogy where they're kind of describing a person who passed away and they're saying, oh yeah, you know, I remember, you know, we went on a trip to the Grand Canyon and he lost his watch or, you know, if you ever hear kind of just like a, or, you know, oh, he, went, you know, he worked for this many years, he got this degree, you know, anything that's like a fact or a story is nice. But if that's all there is to say about a person, it means they probably didn't accomplish a lot in their life, because it means that they just had a bunch of, they lived a bunch of statistics, like, you know, they went to college, and they worked, and they went on vacations, you know, like nothing could be further from the truth with my father. I mean, the kind of things that 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 we reflect on when we think about my father were like his real and his real legacy all relate to his, his real essence, you know, like, I think that's the, that's what we should all strive for. Like, you know, in, in our own lives is we want to be the type of people who we really leave a legacy, you know, and that we impact those around us positively and that we're not just doing our thing, working this job, doing this, going on this vacation. It's like, you know, we, we want to create the kind of life and legacy that my father created um, you know, strongly connected to Judaism, um, you know, raising a family with the kind of values that he did, making an impact on others around him, making a Kiddush Hashem, you know, we didn't even discuss that, but it's another thing about my father, you know, just the type of person that when you see them, you say, that's a Jew, you know, that's how a Jew behaves. That's who my father was. He had that impact on non-Jews. You know, my father was like the ambassador for the Jewish people in that respect. You see someone like that, like someone like my dad, and it's like, that's a real Jew. That's a mensch. That's what a Jew should be. 
So I don't know. To me, I think that's something that we can all take inspiration from. You know, we want to become that type of person that people will point to us and they'll say, that's a Jew. <laughs> yeah. That way you need a lot of that because there's unfortunately a lot of people pointing to people misbehaving and saying, that's a Jew. <laughs> so to have a, to, to set to set a beautiful, beautiful example and to, and to prove otherwise, very powerful thing. Okay. Alex, your father's memory should be a blessing. Um, as we say, and thank you very, very much for your time. And I hope that you can also give over to everyone that you, that you encounter in your, your, of course, your family, your children, and your community and, and everyone who hears this, uh, some of those, some of those lessons and, and bring them and bring them and, and perpetuate them. Thank you. I'm in. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, Rabbi. Okay. Thank you, Alex. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.